Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. America, land of apple pie, blue jeans, and football. Whether you played peewee, went to Friday night high school games growing up, or even if you follow college or professional ball. First down, and he just spins and keeps going. They couldn't bring him down. But playing the game comes with risks. This past season sparked a big discussion around the health of Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. In September, he took a violent hit to the head during a game against the Cincinnati Bengals and was taken off the field in a stretcher to be evaluated. This prompted the NFL in October to update its process for evaluating concussions. Three months after the hit he took in the game against the Bengals, he was evaluated after a game against the Green Bay Packers when he discussed possible concussion symptoms with doctors. Tua Tagovailoa suffered a concussion on Sunday. That's the second one for the Dolphins quarterback this season. Tungavailoa missed the Dolphins' final few regular season games. And as for next season, the general manager for the Miami Dolphins said at a press conference in January that he fully expects Tungavailoa back 100% ready to go. A person familiar with the matter confirmed that Tungavailoa has been cleared from the NFL's concussion protocol. The NFL didn't comment on his injuries and pointed to its official review of Tungavailoa's earlier incident. The NFL Players Association said it can't share private medical information about its players. Tungavailoa declined to comment. Brain injuries in sports, like football, are nothing new. And lots of research is focused on it. Now, a new study raises even stronger concerns about the risks of brain injury from the country's most popular professional sport. And it's not just the pros. High school and youth football looks different now than it did 20 years ago to try to prevent injuries. Some coaches have cut down on tackling in practice, fewer kids are signing up to play, and more technology is hitting the field to track what's happening to players when the clock starts and the ball is in play. But what does this mean for the future of football? From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Ariana Spuru. Today, we're looking at how technology is helping us learn more about the potential dangers of playing football and how America's most watched sport might change because of it. Stay tuned. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. He's going to get into the end zone for another Columbia Eagles touchdown. When athletic trainer Audrey Wirtz is on the sideline of a Columbia High School Eagles football game, she's not just watching the players. Every so often, she looks down at a little device hooked to her bag. 
So this little radio, it's about the size of a cell phone. Kind of bulkier than a cell phone though, it's a little bit thicker. That radio is connected to a sensor in every one of her player's helmets. Her device tracks the hits that the players are taking. I turn it on typically when athletes are getting their pads on and warming up um, at practice or at the start of every game. Wirtz is the athletic trainer at the high school in Columbia, Illinois, just outside St. Louis. Her job is to prevent and treat injuries for all of the school sports. So she's pretty busy, but she has what she describes as an extra eye out on the field. So every time, you know, an athlete catches a really hard blow, my sensor will go off, their name will pop up, you know, saying such and such, and the time that that hit took place. In high-contact sports like football, soccer, or hockey, coaches and researchers are trying to figure out what happens to players when they get hit playing the game. And that's where technology like hit sensors and helmets step in. I can use that to kind of track, okay, like who keeps getting hit from the front? Who keeps getting hit from the back and things like that? I can help coaches, you know, hey, we need to keep an eye on this kid. He keeps getting hit in the front of the head. Maybe we need to talk about his tackling form or things like that. Schools, mostly high schools, in many parts of the U.S. are putting their players in helmets that track every hit to their head. Teams in Oregon, Ohio, North Carolina, and Hawaii, to name a few, have outfitted their teams with helmet sensors. The most widely used technology for this is the Head Impact Telemetry System, a.k.a. HITS. It was first developed by the medical device company Symbex in the early 2000s through funding from the National Institutes of Health. And Rick Greenwald was one of the main people working on it. He's the founder and advisor of Symbex and has worked in biomedical engineering for over 25 years. He says when the company first started its research, the goal was to better understand brain injuries and how to prevent them on the field. 20 plus years ago, we simply didn't know how often a player got hit in the head. We didn't know how hard they got hit in the head and we didn't know where they got hit on the head. So we couldn't do much more than speculate. The NIH has given Symbex nearly $3 million in grants to develop the sensor system and a low-cost alert tool for helmeted sports. Greenwald says Symbex was able to expand the research to high school and eventually youth players to figure out what was going on during practices and games. Getting different data on different demographics of players, different age groups, um, different skill levels, uh, different player positions, um, at different levels of play really made for an even more rich data set to begin to understand things that might work around education, training, and rules management. Simbex partnered with the sports equipment company Riddell, and in 2014, they released a new, more user-friendly version for football teams to use. Thad Eide is the Senior Vice President of Research and Product Development for Riddell. We thought that the types of data that you were seeing would be something that would be very interesting to the broader football playing community. Uh, you know, high school teams that don't have a dedicated research staff. Riddell is one of the most widely known football helmet manufacturers, and so many high schools use their products. In fact, according to the company, over 60,000 helmets with the head impact sensors are in circulation as of 2022. And about 90% of those are at the high school level. So if you're a coach, athletic trainer, or researcher, the data a smart helmet provides is valuable and can be worth the price. The helmet looks like any other one on the field, but if you were to cut it in half, Thad Eyed at Riddell says you'd see a thin sheet of foil covering the inside of the helmet. So if a player is struck on the helmet, 
areas of the film in the helmet that are impacted will develop a charge, and the charge is proportional to the intensity of the impact that the player saw. So the microprocessor inside the helmet will then take that information, quantify it as the type of impact that it was, timestamp it, the direction that it came from, the intensity of the impact, and transmit that to the sideline. And then from the sideline, it goes up to the cloud, and the data can be used in the analytics package. When he says the sideline, he's referring to that radio device Audrey Wartz was talking about. It'll buzz when one of the accelerometers in the helmet sustains a big hit. Wirtz says that once a week, she hooks the radio up to a computer, and then all the data collected from the game is uploaded. She gets sets of charts and graphs on each player's performance. The latest Riddell helmet that comes with the sensor, the Axiom, can cost about $600 per player. The company says they charge $100 to $150 per helmet to add the sensor to an older model, but pricing varies depending on the order. Helmets without any of this technology can range from about $200 to $500. The helmets used by the Columbia Eagles in Illinois are a mix of two different older models. They were originally paid for through fundraising by the Booster Club at a price tag that ran into the tens of thousands of dollars for the whole team. To maintain the helmets, the coach says the district pays about six dollars to $900 per year. And just to be clear, the Riddell helmets aren't the only technology on the market to look at hits. There's mouthguard sensors that are gaining attention too. As of 2022, 10 teams in the NFL use them, and over 250 college football players across eight teams do too. There's also mechanical head impact indicators. One version is a small rectangular gadget that gets stuck to the back of a helmet, and it sells for about $50. At first, it looks like a clear and white piece of plastic, but it'll turn bright red when it senses a big hit to a player's head. And according to the company making them, Tazuda, they show a person when they've been hit hard enough to warrant some kind of concern, but don't deliver all the data a Riddell sensor does. And as with any tech, the data from those sensors is not necessarily always on the ball. There were times where Audrey Wirtz says the helmet sensors didn't pick up on the hits correctly and even picked up on hits that didn't happen. That was always frustrating when it would go off and the athlete wasn't even on the field, you know, and sometimes high school kids roughhouse, so I didn't know if maybe he was bumping helmets with somebody intentionally or something like that. There's different settings on the radio. I have my radio set to vibrate any time an athlete sustains a hit hard enough to consider a concern for a concussion. Now the words concern for a concussion are really important. Both Riddell and Simbex are very clear that this technology doesn't diagnose concussions because, well, it's not designed to. And as of now, no helmet can do that. Here's that eyed again from Riddell. It's just there to tell the sideline that something atypical happened on the field in, in that sense. But for lower level impacts or other things that are going on on the field, it's just collecting the data, transmitting it to the sideline, and then we generate reports for the teams either daily or weekly or end of season. Actual diagnosis for a concussion involves brain scans, neurological examinations, observation, and medical history. So no helmet or gadget would conclusively diagnose them, especially on the field. Dr. Daniel Danishvar is an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School and a brain injury physician at Massachusetts General Hospital. 
His research focuses on long-term effects of moderate, severe traumatic brain injuries and concussions. We need more information than just the force that was imparted. But at the very least, we can say that uh, you know, based on the forces involved and potentially based on the, per- the person's reported signs and the symptoms that we observe, that there might be uh, a concussion. So the helmet sensors aren't being used to diagnose concussions. It's easy to say, okay, well, then why are we using them? First off, Wirtz says that it helps her keep track of all her players. If I had an athlete that, you know, maybe it was their first game back from recovering for a concussion, I could kind of watch the sensor and watch their, you know, watch my radio and kind of see like, okay, like I need to definitely check on him if he gets hit again and that kind of thing. And Danishvar sees some medical value in the sensors since they can look at those big and small hits. We're realizing more and more that these head impacts, both the non-concussive head impacts and the concussive impacts, are associated with problems that we didn't know, we, we didn't really understand or, or know about you know, 30, 40 years ago. But increasingly, we're realizing just how many problems might be associated with uh, undiagnosed and or poorly managed uh, head impacts. And so that, that's why it's important to utilize the newest technology available to, to better diagnose these injuries. That constant data can be used to look at big hits that might warrant a player being taken out of a game, along with smaller ones that might have otherwise been overlooked. That's where Danishvar sees this technology being especially useful. Now, when you're talking about the repetitive non-concussive hits and the cumulative burden that those might uh, impart, uh, then knowing the frequency of the hits and the relative force of each of the associated with each of those hits, it might be more important then. For now, they're still being used to keep an eye on players who might be at risk of getting hurt, but they could provide some insight into injuries outside the brain as well. He says, for example, if someone gets a concussion, reaction times could be slower. The data show that an individual with a concussion is three times more likely to have an orthopedic injury afterward. And so tracking and uh, uh, diagnosing and properly treating athletes with brain injuries is important not only for their brain health, but for their total body health. And as doctors and researchers learn more about the brain, Danishvar says these sensors could become a bigger piece of the puzzle. I think that once they become more common, then utilizing them as part of the diagnostic toolkit for clinicians will will be increasingly important. Uh, Now, I I think we should emphasize, though, I don't think that these helmet sensors are ever really going to be able to tell us whether or not someone had a concussion, but they will be very useful in letting us know who should be evaluated The more sensors are used, the more data the software collects. That's already helping researchers learn more about how hits affect the brain. But could this technology, and others still in the works, actually change the game? More on that after the break. ADP knows anything you hear. Anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't, can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. (laughs) 
We've told you about helmet sensors and all the data they're collecting. But these sensors are just one piece of the puzzle that could change football, especially for younger athletes. Dr. Niaz Didabani is a psychologist and co-director of the Neural Rehabilitation Program at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Frisco. She does research on the long-term effects of head impacts in youth athletes. And she agrees that the technology that we've been talking about has a long way to go before it can be used for diagnostics. But in the next five to 10 years, she thinks research will look for biomarkers that could help diagnose concussions that helmets can't. Looking at saliva as a biomarker for an injury to look more at kind of that micro level, like micro RNA. I think we're moving more towards that, kind of like these biomarkers, um, you know, blood or saliva to help with, you know, diagnosing concussion. In fact, the patent for the first saliva-based test for concussions was awarded to Quadrant Biosciences, Penn State, and the State University of New York last year. If regulators approve it, the researchers say the test could be a more accurate way of detecting concussions. The group discovered that certain microRNAs found in saliva could be measured to indicate if someone had a concussion. The company expects to make the saliva test available to physicians sometime later this year. But all these things, like more tech and tests, will cut into the budget of families, schools, or leagues. WSJ senior sports reporter Rachel Bachman has been covering football for over a decade and has written about how the sport has evolved. A lot of youth sports are becoming much more expensive, and, you know, parents' budgets aren't limitless. So anything that is going to be used by an entire team has to be affordable to a large number of parents. And it's not just the money for special helmets or equipment, but teams might need an athletic trainer to get the best eyes on their players, which comes at a cost. The Department of Labor says the average annual salary for an elementary or high school athletic trainer is just under $65,000 a year. At a time of budget cuts and rising costs, schools might not be able to pay for one. And many districts have made the choice not to have one. According to the Corey Stringer Institute at the University of Connecticut, and the National Athletic Trainers Association, 31% of public secondary schools in the U.S. don't have an athletic trainer. And the majority of schools with little access to athletic trainers are in rural areas, where there's often fewer specialists available to treat sports-related injuries. And experts say that can lead to more mismanaged or misidentified concussions for those players. But Rachel Bachman says researchers advise that football can be made safer, even without access to the latest technology. I count among tools things like starting football later and changing tackling technique and reducing the number of practices where you're actually tackling versus just doing passing practice or fitness drills, things like that. And new research backs this up. A 2022 study at Indiana University says that certain drills in practice may result in fewer head impacts for high school players. And many schools are already limiting contact in practice and getting rid of dangerous drills. So there really are a range of things that are already underway to try to reduce head injuries even before you get to the technology. One example, the Oklahoma drill. It's something that used to be seen a lot in practices and is basically a person-on-person collision. Generally, the number of players can vary, but one version is where a player on one side needs to stop another player from charging at them, while another player tries to get through a narrow path with the ball. This audio is from a college football practice in 2013, and you can hear the impact of helmet on helmet. The drill was banned from NFL practices in 2019 out of concern for player safety. 
And that was essentially a one-on-one, man-on-man collision drill, sort of a mano-a-mano, toughest guy wins. And no self-respecting program does drills like that anymore. They just don't happen. And it's because there's this broad understanding of the potential damage of head injuries. And Dr. Niaz Didabani at UT Southwestern hopes that extends to other parts of the game, especially for younger players. So I think definitely taking away things like that where they're using their head as a tool or a weapon in the game needs to be completely taken out. I think we can make it safer, and I think as we learn more, we need to make it safer. And these changes are not just about making the game safer in the short term. A neurodegenerative disease called chronic traumatic encephalopathy has gotten a lot of attention in recent years after being diagnosed in several former NFL players after they died. Dr. Daniel Danishvar at Harvard Medical School also collaborates with the Boston University CTE Center and says there seems to be a clear link between hits and the disease. And so in the world's literature, the vast majority of these cases have been in, in individuals who played some contact sport, including football. So that's why it's important to be able to track what types of hits to the head these athletes are experiencing because it gives us insight into what causes the disease. The NFL didn't comment about any possible link between playing football and developing CTE. But it provided a statement that said it supports researchers and scientific innovators in exploring traumatic brain injury, concussion, and neurodegenerative diseases, including CTE. The National Collegiate Athletic Association declined to comment. One of the biggest challenges is that CTE can only be diagnosed posthumously through brain samples. But diagnostic tests for people still living are in late-stage studies, and researchers are trying to identify biomarkers that might help them pinpoint CTE symptoms earlier. Once we can confidently diagnose CTE, like, it would be hard to argue if 16-year-olds should be playing tackle football, because again, we'll be able to see it now. That's an area of real interest for Dr. Christopher Nowinski. He's a neuroscientist and co-founder and CEO of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. He played football throughout college at Harvard. But he says tests and tech can only go so far. He believes that kids should not be playing any tackle football before high school. As somebody who played at a higher level, I can tell you that, you know, football is not a skill sport outside of, you know, your kickers and your quarterbacks. Everybody else is about how great of an athlete you can be. And you don't, you learn how to become an athlete by running around and you know, playing games uh, that don't involve colliding. And so even if you just want to create better football players, you would have them play non-contact until high school. You'd minimize, you know, miles on their body and on their brain. So flag football is the future. Flag football might not be as familiar, but it does reduce the hits players take. A 2021 CDC study found that youth tackle football athletes from ages 6 to 14 sustained 15 times more head impacts than flag football players during a practice or game. And many Americans seem to be taking notice of the dangers of tackle football. A 2022 survey of nearly 4,000 U.S. adults by researchers at Ohio State University found that around half of them agreed that kids shouldn't play tackle football. So flag football has seen a big spike in interest as a possible alternative. According to the Sports and Fitness Industry Association, there were 7 million flag football players in the U.S. in 2021. Nearly 2 million of them were between the ages of 6 and 12. The NFL even sponsors its own flag football program, called NFL Flag. It says there are more than half a million participants across the country, and it's even including flag football for the first time at the 2023 Pro Bowl Games, which is the annual All-Star Game. 
On its website, NFL Flag calls flag football, quote, a great starting point to improve technique and learn the fundamentals of the game. For people advocating for youth flag football, like Dr. Christopher Nowinski, all the attention on this version of the sport is a good thing. There's no question in my mind that kids before high school shouldn't be playing any form of football that's not flag. Specifically, minimizing hits on younger players is where Nowinski really hopes to see change. If you're a parent right now, I would say that's the choice you have to make for your kid. And I do know a handful of people, even football coaches, who learned about CT, learned about the risks, and pulled their kids from tackle into flag and then put them back in tackle in high school. And that, that's not, that's a, it's a very reasonable thing to do right now. Because there are no national safety standards for youth sports, it's up to the parents to decide when they think is best to put their kid in tackle. One youth football organization, USA Football, says it supports all game types and that an athlete should play the type of sport that they and their parents choose and feel is physically, socially, and cognitively appropriate. Another organization, Pop Warner, says flag football is a great option for kids who aren't interested in tackle or a pathway for many young athletes who are just learning the sport. So it's up to parents, coaches, and schools to decide how these athletes play. And while that may change in the next few years with emerging research and tech, for now, people like Audrey Wirtz and schools like Columbia High are hoping the sensors they've invested in can help keep players as safe as possible. It's nice to have on the sidelines because I personally don't have fancy physics magic where I can tell how hard somebody was hit. So it's a very good tool in our toolbox as like a way to watch athletes and to kind of monitor them. That is the last snap of the game. So that is going to improve the Eagles with the 21-0 victory. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Ariana Aspudu. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Sound design and mixing by Jess Fenton. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Thanks for listening. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.